Amen. All right, let's get into it, y'all, shall we? This is our second week of our series on Esther. We took a break last week because it was Family Sunday. So we started two weeks ago, and we're picking up uh, where we left off then. And a quick recap, Esther chapter 1, it begins talking about King Xerxes and how he... uh, through a 180-day banquet for all the nobles and officials and all of Persia. And Persia was 127 provinces. It was the greatest empire that the world had ever seen. And Xerxes was over it. And after the 180-day banquet, he threw a seven-day banquet for all those in Susa, which was like the capital of Persia. Anyone from the greatest to the least could come in and eat and drink and be merry for those seven days. And we talked about how uh, that those 187 days of banquet-throwing really just screamed insecurity on the king, right? And so we compared King Xerxes to the king of kings and how God is not insecure. He's sure of himself. And he doesn't need pats on the back to remind him who he is, unlike Xerxes, okay? So we're going to pick up with that same uh, story in Esther chapter 1, and we're going to start in verse 10. So if you have your Bibles, please turn there with me this morning as we begin. On the seventh day of the feast, when King Xerxes was in high spirits because of the wine, in other words, he was drunk, he told the seven seven eunuchs who attended him, Mehmen, I'm not going to try these, it's going to just embarrass me, verse 11, to bring Queen Vashti to him with the royal crown on her head. He wanted the nobles and all the other men to gaze on her beauty, for she was a very beautiful woman. But when they conveyed the king's order... To Queen Vashti, she refused to come. This made the king furious, and he burned with anger. Okay, let's stop there. So here's a point that I think we can really relate to the king, okay? He has just thrown himself 187 days worth of banquets, right? All in his honor. All for people to tell him that he's great, and that he's powerful, and that he's rich, and King Xerxes, you're the man. Oh, you're the greatest king that's ever lived. Persia is the greatest empire that there's ever been. You are awesome, King Xerxes, right? For 187 days. And then on the very last day, the last day of the last banquet, he's told no. And he's embarrassed. And after all that time, rather than focusing on all those pats on the back that he got, all those compliments, he grabs hold of the one negative thing that was said to him. Does that sound familiar, church? We can be praised and praised and thanked and said, you're doing great at this job. And then one person comes along and says that I don't like your shoes. And that's all we can obsess over, right? I can't believe that they said that. How dare they be? Remember yesterday? I don't care about that. I care about the negative thing, right? And that is what is happening with Xerxes in this moment. It doesn't matter about anything that was said. All 187 days before then, in this moment, he is told no, and it's all out the window. All he cares about all he is concerned with is that he was told no and what's the big fuss here i mean it sounds like it's not a big deal they want to gaze on her beauty she was a very beautiful woman you know vashti come on in let it let these men gaze on your beauty here's what's really happening all right this is why we saved this teaching for this week and not last week when the kiddos were in here when the bible says that They invited her in wearing her royal crown. What that actually means is she was 
only wearing her royal crown. And so when the, when the king, who is drunk, along with all these other drunk men, order her to come in wearing only her crown, they want her to come in naked and so that they can ogle her and look at her. And so she says, no, I'm not doing that. I refuse to do that. <laughs> crazy, right? It actually is a little crazy. It's crazy for her to say that, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. But that is the moment that we are in in this story. And it's so important. I believe this entire first chapter is really all about context of the book of Esther. We have to understand how women are treated and how they are viewed in this book, especially to then appreciate exactly what Esther does. If we don't get the, the treatment of women and, and how they are viewed, we can't fully appreciate the courage and the strength that Esther operates in. And so that's where we are at right here. This is the mentality of the king and all the nobles in the room. Bring her in. Let's just look at her, right? She's the queen, y'all. This is not some woman on, on, the, on the street, not that that would be any better, but they're treating royalty like this. How much more so someone who isn't royalty? So that's where we're at. And it keeps going in verse 13. He immediately consulted, so he's furious. He immediately consulted with his wise advisors who knew all the Persian laws and customs for he always asked their advice. The names of these men, there were seven of them, we're going to skip, seven nobles of Persia and Media. They met with the king regularly and held the highest position in the empire. What must be done to Queen Vashti, the king demanded. What penalty does the law provide for a queen who refuses to obey the king's orders properly sent through his eunuchs? Memekin answered the king and his nobles. This, y'all, is a trip. Queen Vashti has wronged not only the king, but also every noble and citizen throughout your empire. Did y'all hear that? 127 provinces. Women everywhere, this is a great Mother's Day message, by the way. <laughs> Women everywhere will begin to despise their husbands when they learn that Queen Vashti has refused to appear before the king, naked, with all of us drunk. Before this day is out, the wives of all the king's nobles throughout Persia and Media will hear what the queen did and will start treating their husbands the same way. There will be no end to their contempt and anger. Wow. I mean, this is hyperbole on like a brand new level here. He's saying this dude that all women in all parts of Persia, all 127 provinces are going to rebel against all the men because a queen didn't want to be naked in front, in front of a bunch of drunk men. Okay. Remember how a couple weeks ago we talked about all the, all the banquets really just screamed insecurity on the part of the king? Well, what this screams is, I'm a terrible husband, right? And my marriage is in shambles. Like, are you serious, dude? Like, this is what you think is going to happen? He is operating out of his own experience right here, bringing his home into the picture and assuming that everyone else is like that. He's telling on himself. This mimicking guy is telling on himself with what is going on. And it gets, the crazy thing is it, it, it gets worse. Verse 19. 
So if it pleases the king, we suggest that you issue a written decree, a law of the Persians and Medes that cannot be revoked. It should order that Queen Vashti be forever banished from the presence of King Xerxes, and that the king should choose another queen more worthy than she. More worthy meaning more obedient. When this decree is published throughout the king's vast empire, husbands everywhere, whatever their rank, will receive proper respect from their wives. Nothing says proper respect like a written decree that demands you respect them. Verse 21. The king and his nobles thought this made good sense, so he followed Mimicum's counsel. He sent letters to all parts of the empire, each province in its own script and language, proclaiming that every man should be the ruler of his own home and should say whatever he pleases. Yikes. What is going on here? There is a lot there's a lot that we could preach on and talk about in these verses this morning, but I want to focus on two things. I want to focus on the queen and I want to focus on the king. And I want to look at Vashti first, because in the book of Esther, as it's titled, we can, we can think that Esther is the only strong and courageous woman in this story. But what we see here is that, no, there was actually someone before Esther even comes into the story that was strong and courageous as well. I said earlier that it's a little crazy for Vashti to say no to the king. It's not crazy at all that she would not want to do this. It's not crazy that this, this is a terrible idea. The order that has been given her to go into the room with all of these men in the fashion that she was ordered to do so is lunacy. But she says no. In a world that is insanely patriarchal, right? I mean, we see it right here. Husbands can say whatever they say, and the women, they better say yes or else. I do, right? That's just a beautiful marriage vow. And she says no. Understanding what is at stake. And, and I, I'd be really, it'd be hard to convince me that in the time that she's been queen, she hasn't picked up on some things on how the king operates. Because we, we'll see later in the story, the king is rash. He makes, t- he makes really like severe decisions on things. And that's how kings were back then. They were paranoid. Everything, they, they constantly lived in fear of losing the throne. So every punishment was in, insanely severe because they were trying to create fear of anyone that would come against them. And so Vashti has to know how this king operates. And she has to know that if she refuses the king especially when there's other people in the room, there are going to be severe consequences. Maybe death, possibly arrest, who knows what, corporal punishment, whatever it might be. She is laying a lot on the line by saying no. And she does it anyway. Listen, y'all. I believe the church has got to do a better job saying no. But we feel... Like, if we don't say no, then we are not pleasing people, or we are offending someone, and then they're not going to, you know, know Jesus, or they're not going to do this, that, and the other. But let me tell you something. I believe when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me, I think there was plenty of people that weren't pleased at that. I think there were plenty of people that that rubbed the wrong way. But Jesus said it anyway. But here's the thing. When he said it, he didn't say it to hate people. He said it as an invitation to come to him, but he said it anyway. 
And I believe there is a lot of us in here that don't say no in life to things that are put on us, things that are asked of us, things that sometimes we just put ourselves in that situation because we're afraid that we're not going to please people. And so instead of saying no, we say yes or okay, and then we just pile burden after burden after burden on top of us and to the point where we can't take it anymore and we break. All because we are trying to please everyone because, well, I love Jesus, so that's what I should probably do. Listen, the church is... The, we're called to be strong, y'all. We are called to be conquerors. And that means sometimes saying no, taking a stand on things, but doing it always with the heart of love. I've heard, I've heard some people that are actually quite good at saying no, that love Jesus. A little too good. To where, it, you know, a lot of it's tone. And I got to be real careful here because some of y'all are going to go, I heard James preach today and that means I'm not doing the dishes for a week. If I don't want to, no, it's too much of a burden, right? It's not what I'm saying. Someone clap back there? Uh, <laughs> careful. There's ways to say no in love. But there are some times where we have to say very clearly no. And he, here, here's what's, well, I'll, I'll get to that in a second. But we have to be very careful on that. And here's something else we need to consider for those of us that just take on these extra burdens and, and trying to, to please people enough to we're, we're pleasing them into the church. We're pleasing them to Jesus. Or we're just, maybe we're pleasing them for our own sake because we want them to accept us. Here's a truth that we need to hear. It is impossible to please everyone. It's impossible. I've learned that in a very short time here at Beaches Chapel as lead pastor. It's too hot or it's too cold in here. The music's too loud or it's not loud enough, right? It rains on Sundays and somehow that doesn't, that's our fault too, you know? It's amazing. You can't please everyone. It is impossible. So stop trying and instead ask the Lord how I can please him. Father, how can I please you? Is this something that you would like for me to take on? Is this something for you that, that I should say yes to or no to? Some of them are very clear. Say no to, to things like what Vashti is saying no to, right? But there are other things in your life where you're called and you're searching out the Lord and you're trying to say, am I supposed to do this? Am I supposed to serve here? Am I supposed to be like that? Lord, what would you have me do? Make it clear to me, Father, so that I know to say yes or I know to say no. But either way, let my answer be very clear. Let my yes be yes and let my no be no. But don't let me wait in the middle. It is not up to us to please everyone. Because when we start trying to do that, we are no good to anyone. Yourself, your spouse, your kids, your family, your friends. That's it. It's okay to say no. Do y'all hear me? Some of y'all need to hear me this morning. It is okay to say no. Do it in love. Do it with prayer. But say no. I believe there are many, many of us in here that need to hear that right now. And I pray that you would be delivered. I pray that the weight of the world that you've put on yourself by saying yes to way too many things would be broken. And that you can live again and, and do well at the things that God has called you to do. Love the people well that he's called you to love. 
Stop trying to please everybody. You can say no. Okay. So now let's shift to the king. The king makes three mistakes in this little portion of scripture. The first one is that he makes a decision when he's drunk, right? Don't do that, right? I'm not going to go into a long sermon. Don't be drunk and don't make decisions when you're drunk. If you ever hear anyone say, man, I got a great idea. Like, no, you don't. Like, shut up. That's a bad idea. No, I swear. This was going to... No. Stop it. Bad. There's some things you just don't have to preach on, um, I believe. But that's one of them. But he does. He makes a very bad decision when he's drunk. And then he doubles down on it by making another decision when he's angry. All right? Anger in and of itself is not sin. But the Bible says, do not sin in your anger. And typically how we sin when we are angry is by making a decision in our anger. Rather than just saying, you know what? I'm going to pause. I'm going to take a deep breath. And I'm going to let things just chill out for a little bit. But we get impulsive when we're angry. And we make bad decisions when we are angry. And he does so. He goes, it says he's furious, and he goes to his wise counsel and said, What must be done? Banging the table. What must be done to Vashti? He's angry. Because he makes two bad decisions in a row. But here's the worst of all. And here's really what I want to talk about this morning. It's the worst decision he makes. He gives his authority away. As king of Persia, he goes to his council and says, what should I do? And then Mimikin pipes up because his marriage is clearly terrible. And he says, I think you should do this. And Xerxes says, okay. He doesn't operate with the authority that's been given to him. He gives it away and he says, you be king. You make the decisions. And I'll go along with whatever you say. He gives his authority away. And worst of all, he gives it to a bunch of men, the Bible says, who know the Persian law and the Persian customs, not the customs of God. Not what would the Lord do, not Holy Spirit lead us, but the customs of the world that they lived in. That is what they know, so that is what they operate in. We cannot live our lives by giving authority away. We can't do it. We can't do it. And the sad thing is, we do it all the time. We do it all the time. And when we give our authority away, we come up on the losing end every single time. Every single time. Mimikun is not the one here in this story that is losing his wife, by the way. Have you noticed that? He doesn't say, banish my wife from the kingdom. He says, Xerxes, banish your wife. Banish your queen. And that will benefit me. And if, as we go on in chapter 2, it begins by Xerxes missing Vashti. He remembers her, the Bible says. And so it affects him. He comes out on the losing end. He's lost his queen because he gave his authority to someone else. We come out on the losing end every single time. Well, James, that's great. I understand that, but I'm no king. 
I don't have this position. I'm not a CEO. I'm not a manager. I'm not a boss. I'm not even an assistant to the regional manager, all right? I I have nothing of me in that at all. So how how can you talk about me giving authority away when I don't have one? Please stop the madness. The Bible says that we are Christ's ambassadors. We have all the authority in the world. Ben talked about it earlier during worship. We have the Holy Spirit living in us. You don't think that comes with some authority? 1 Peter 2, 9. The Bible says you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. Sounds to me like royalty. Paul says that I will be your father and you will be my sons and daughters, declares the Lord Almighty. When we accept Jesus into our lives, we become royalty. We become sons and daughters of the king of kings like we talked about two weeks ago. God being king, Jesus being king, We are God's sons and daughters, which makes us royalty, which allows us to have the authority. Listen, we're we're co-heirs with Christ. We have the Holy Spirit inside of us. We have all the authority in the world, yet we give it away. And I hate that. I hate that we live like that. Listen, if I have a brand new truck in my driveway, which one day, in Jesus' name... But when that happens, I'm not going to just bury the keys in the front yard and talk about it. I'm going to drive that thing. We have the power of the Holy Spirit in us that we lift our hands to and worship. We sing about, we talk about, but then when it comes time to live in it, we put them on the shelf. And we give our authority away to fear, anxiety, worry, addictions, all those things. And God's saying, what are you doing? You're going to come out on the losing end. You have the authority. You are royalty. You are my son and you are my daughter. You are my special possession, a chosen people, royal priesthood, a holy nation. Y'all, those are big words. Those are very big words. And we act like we don't have any of it. But we need to understand that we have the authority so that when the enemy comes knocking and says, hey, I want you to go do this and it tries to actually order us to go do something, we can say no. No. No, I'm not going to believe that about my children. No. I'm not going to stand in that over my marriage and over my finances or over my health. No. I'm going to speak the blood of Jesus and I'm going to operate in the Holy Spirit with the authority that God has given me as his son and as his daughter. And I'm going to speak that way over those things and not give my authority up to fear. Not give my authority up to anxiety. And you might be saying, James, I'm trying. I'm trying. I'm trying. Don't let it when you have the authority you have the authority that God has given each one of us so we operate in that until God says otherwise we walk in that until God says otherwise but Xerxes gave it away 
I want to I see what, what authority looks like in, in a couple stories here. Bear with me as we look in Acts chapter 19, starting in verse 11. It says, God gave Paul the power to perform unusual miracles. When handkerchiefs or aprons that had merely touched his skin were placed on sick people, they were healed of their diseases and evil spirits were expelled. Verse 13, a group of Jews was traveling from town to town, casting out evil spirits. They tried to use the name of the Lord Jesus in their incantation, saying, I command you in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, to come out. Seven sons of Sceva, a leading priest, were doing this. But one time when they tried it, the evil spirit replied, check this out, y'all. I know Jesus, and I know Paul. But who are you? Then the man with the evil spirit, this is a crazy story, leapt on them, overpowered them, and attacked them with such violence that they fled from the house naked and battered. What? Like, what happened in those moments where one demon-possessed dude, like, stripped all seven of them naked, you know? Like, that is an insane fight. But what is, what is crazy here is that authority, listen, listen, authority, was tr- they were trying to imitate it. They were trying to imitate the authority of Jesus when they didn't have it. And the enemy said, I don't know you. I don't know you. I know Jesus. And I know Paul. I don't know you. When we walk with the Lord, we have the Holy Spirit in us. The enemy knows exactly the authority that we have. Knows the exactly the authority that we have. Matthew chapter 8, verse 28. When Jesus arrived on the other side of the lake in the region of the Gadarenes, two men who were possessed by demons met him. They came out of the tombs and were so violent that no one could go through that area. They began screaming at him, Why are you interfering with us, Son of God? Have you come here to torture us before God's appointed time? There happened to be a large herd of pigs feeding in the distance. So the demons begged. Everyone say begged. If you cast us out, send us into that herd of pigs. All right, go, Jesus commanded them. So the demons came out of the men and entered the pigs. And the whole herd plunged down to the steep hillside into the lake and drowned in the water. Acts 16, 25. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening. Suddenly, there was a massive earthquake, and the prison was shaken to its foundations. All the doors immediately flew open, and the chains of every prisoner fell off. The jailer woke up to see the prison doors wide open. He assumed the prisoners had escaped, so he drew his sword to kill himself. But Paul shouted to him, Stop! Don't kill yourself! We are all here. Skip down to verse 35. The next morning, the city officials sent the police to tell the jailer, Let these men go. So the jailer told Paul, the city officials have said, you and Silas are free to leave. Go in peace. I love Paul's reply here. He is a baller. He says, they have publicly beaten us without a trial and put us in prison, and we are Roman citizens. So now they want us to leave secretly? Certainly not. Sounds a lot like no, doesn't it? Let them come themselves to release us. When the police reported this, the city officials were alarmed to learn that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens. So they came to the jail and apologized to them. They, then they brought them out and begged to leave the city. They begged. The enemy will always end up begging at the feet of Jesus. 
every single time. Because it's at the name of Jesus that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Y'all, I know, I know, I know that life is really hard. I hear not even all the stories that are just in this church alone. And this is not a message to say, buck up. But it's to say, in those moments where you want to give up and you want fear to creep in, remember who you are. Remember whose you are. Remember that the Holy Spirit is inside you. And however God decides to lead one thing or the other, you have the authority over the enemy in those moments. He wants to destroy you and tell lies to you and break you down. We have the authority. Don't give it away. Don't let the enemy win. Because the second that we do that, we come out on the short end of the stick. We come out on the losing end. But understand in those moments that when you speak the name Jesus as a daughter and as a son of God, the enemy knows exactly who you are. And he is afraid of you because of the authority that you have in your life. Don't give it away. Tell the enemy no. Tell the enemy no. We're going to stand and have the band come back up. And we're going to um, close this morning with communion. So if you, if you miss getting some communion, you can go to the back and we'll have some for you. And I want to read one more verse about authority. And it's out of Luke 24, starting in verse 1. On the first day of the week, very, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wandering about this, wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. The ultimate authority was Jesus' death and resurrection. Death could not keep him down. He gave his spirit. He gave himself over. There was never a moment in Jesus' arrest, resurrection, flogging, spitting on him, or anything like that where he was out of control. In all of it, he had the authority. And he allowed those things to happen. He gave it permission. And then when it was time, he said, I'm the authority. Death cannot reign over me. He was raised from the dead for us to have a relationship with us so that we never have to live in fear, so that we never have to live with anxiety or uh, self-medicate through addictions or believe any single lie of the enemy ever because we have the authority. We have the truth in us. It's time to say no to the enemy. If you've given your 
authority away to whatever it might be in your life. Rather than looking like an ambassador, you look a lot more like a prisoner. It's time to be set free. You are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. And you are a holy nation, God's special possession. He's not going to let his special possessions be run over by the enemy. You have the authority in you. The Holy Spirit leading and guiding you every second of every day. All because Jesus allowed death to come upon him, but only for a couple days, and then he took it back. Father, we thank you, Lord. God, we thank you, Jesus, so much for your sacrifice, that you are the ultimate authority, that what you say goes. And God, I thank you that you allowed it. When you could have stopped it at any moment, you allowed the beating, you allowed the cursing and the spitting and the mocking. You allowed the nails in your hands and in your arms and your legs. You allowed the crown, the thorns on your head. And you gave up your spirit. Father, we remember right now your body that was broken. Beaten and bruised for us so that you could then say, I'm giving you authority. I'm giving you the Holy Spirit. I'm giving you eternal life with me as citizens of the kingdom of heaven, as royalty, as royalty, because I love you. Jesus, we say thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you that you think so much of us, that you would call us royalty. proved it by dying on the cross. So we take this bread right now, remembering your sacrifice. Father, we pray right now for your blood that was shed for us for your mercy that is new every morning. Father, we, again, say thank you for when we mess up, when we get off the path, when we, I don't know, overthink things or overdo things. Just get lost, Father, we get lost. Thank you for your mercy. And when we turn back to you, you just pick us up put us right back on the path. You cleanse us, you wash us, you make us new. It's, it's such, it's such simple words to say, even I hear myself saying it, Father, and it's like, it's, it's just so much bigger than that. Your mercies for us are, are huge. You're huge, Father. just so grateful that you forgive us. Father, forgive us. Wash us new now, Lord. 
do this every day. You don't run out of love for us. You don't run out of patience for us. You don't sin in your anger, God. You don't make rash decisions, Father, over us. You're kind. And it's all through your blood, the sacrifice of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your mercy. We humbly receive it as we take this cup in Jesus' name. Father, I, I again want to pray for those this morning who are really shouldering a heavy load right now. Maybe it's because they've said yes to too many things. Maybe it's because the world that they're living in, the challenges that they are facing are just a lot. I pray right now that you would be with them, that you would comfort them, God, that you would heal them for those that need healing. In Jesus' name. Father, for those that, even on this Mother's Day, are wrecked because of their kids. this prayer one more time, I might lose it, that they would just call on the name Jesus and lay aside those prayers to say, Jesus, I need you. Now, when they don't feel the authority that you have put in us through the Holy Spirit, that they would be confident in your authority and that they would turn it over to you. But God, I pray right now, lighten the loads of those in here who are heavy burdened. Jesus, we come against the power of the enemy in Jesus' name and we say no more. 
no more. No more lies. No more fear. No more anxiety. God, where we held on to those, we give those to you. We release those things in Jesus' name. We release all those lies of the enemy, Father, and we give them to you. The God who reigns on high, the King of kings, who is confident in who he is, who can handle every fear and every doubt and every bit of anxiety that we've ever felt. You say, bring it to me. God, we bring it to you. You say, come, we're coming, Lord. We're going to rest at your feet, Father, knowing who we are. And we're going to say, shut up, enemy. You have no place in our heart and in our mind. Every single lie we bind in the name of Jesus by the power and the authority of the Most High God. And we walk with the confidence of your Holy Spirit in us, leading us, guiding us, protecting us. But Father, we say no more in Jesus' name. We say no more. And for those that can't say it, we say it on their behalf. We stand in the gap for them right now. Those that are in this room, we stand in the gap and we say for them, no more. As our family, as our brothers and sisters who can't utter those words, we say it. We say no more in Jesus' name. We do not give our authority away to the enemy. We hold tight to it, Father. And we say thank you, Lord, that you have empowered us as your sons and as your daughters to walk it out in truth and in victory devil, we curse you in Jesus' name. You are a liar and you are a thief and we see you for who you are. We say, get out. Get out of our homes. Get out of our minds. Get out of our marriages. Get out of our children. You have no place in Jesus' name. You are done. Break chains this morning. Set those free that need to be free. And I know there's some of us in here right now that need it. Thank you, Jesus. Keep moving. Keep moving, Holy Spirit. Keep moving, Father. Yes, Lord, you are greater. You are greater. You are greater. You are the King of kings and you are the Lord of lords. Great is your name in all the earth. the altar this morning. If you need to just get with the Lord, we invite you to come as we worship.